Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. Jeff, you are a punker, as you, uh, as we've come to know, uh, the group that is, uh, you follow punk rock and you enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, why do you look so bizarre, Jeff? Well, it is officially spooky season, and so we've decided to unlock from our Miffy Vault the After Midnight episode in which we debated the five scariest movies of all time. Hmm. And you can find it right now in our free Discord, along with the most recent full episode of After Midnight. That's always available yeah. in Discord. And uh, we'll leave that up through the end of October. Just a little bonus. Yeah. That was actually the first After Midnight episode, if I recall. Uh, I don't recall, but I don't recall most things. Mm. So, you know. Also, the next episode this month will be Halloween-themed hmm. as well. So look forward to that. And if you want even more Halloween-y goodness, we, weenie, the least <laughs> scariest word, Halloween-esque, <laughs> Halloween-ish. <laughs> Halloween-ish? <laughs> sounds worse. It does. We also did an episode last year on the history of Halloween. So check out episode number 94, or if episodes aren't numbered in your podcast player of choice, you can scroll down to October of 2021. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. I feel like they could have figured that out, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just mansplained it our audience. That's good. I like to be pedantic and patronizing. That's <laughs> yes. my thing. P and P. I remember that episode. That, yeah. was a, that was a fun one. Way back in October 2021, back when we were innocent, naive young podcasters. La, la, back la, before la, these la. damn live streams <laughs> turned me into a rage monster. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy the live streams, just not the uh, the tech troubleshooting aspect. No, that always comes as a, a vicious shock to the system when we're like, <laughs> we did everything right. Why didn't we? Oh, we're getting the hang of it. Yeah. We're boomering our way through. <laughs> <laughs> boomering is a very apt <laughs> verb in this situation. So anyway, this week's episode is not exactly seasonally appropriate. Hmm. It is only scary maybe if you were a parent in the 1970s. Huh. We're talking today about punk rock music. Yeah, yeah. And BTW, I had a great time researching this topic. This was really fun. Yeah. I, I did not uh, think I would enjoy it this much. Hmm. You're yeah. a huge fan of like the Misfits and all that. I, I mean, kind of. I didn't realize how much punk I knew, I think, was the problem. Mm. Like when I thought punk rock, I was like, ah, stuff I don't really listen to. And then I realized how much of what I listen to is either punk adjacent or can be considered punk or was definitely influenced just the next step from punk. Right. It was the natural evolution. Yeah. I, too had my punk curious time and uh and it stuck with me there's some great stuff man i've just been jamming out i think jody was not thrilled with this episode after a while because uninspired yeah there is an era of your life when you should kind of be over it mm. probably yeah. but i just dove back in and felt like a kid again it was fun <laughs> all right so duncan if you had to sum up punk rock music with one word just one defining characteristic what word would you use are we talking like hardcore punk or are we talking just like straight that's like a good, pop punk? Yeah, I mean, that's the question, right? Because right. there are so many varieties. Like punk has become multi-flavored. Right. And now it has been watered down to the point that it is not even Avril Lavigne is punk now. It's just, mm. who yeah, cares yeah. anymore? Yeah. But I mean, so the reason why I ask the question is like, if, if we're talking about hardcore punk, then the, it's the germs. I would describe it as chaotic. If we're talking about like the misfits, I would call it moody and and vicious or fast moving mm -hmm. um 
And if we're talking about Green Day or pop punk, I'm just talking about like fun high school music. Sure. So I'm looking for like, you mentioned fast, right? Mm-hmm. It's, that's, I think, a characteristic that most punk shares. Mm. Uh, also, maybe simplistic to mm. some extent. It's not the most complicated music for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think that most people would probably say rebellious. Fair. If we were playing Family Feud, that would be at the top of the board. <laughs> Show me rebellious. Now, obviously, every new generation has to redefine rebellion. Mm-hmm. especially when it comes to music. Right. Uh, Elvis was scandalous in the 1950s. But by the time Elvis's fans had kids, like a pompadour and a hip shake, that wasn't going to strike fear in the hearts of the suburban masses anymore. No, no. Or a quiver in the groin of the teenage masses. I did just watch the Elvis movie. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was better than I expected. Very, right. like, surface level, but very fun to watch. It's Baz Luhrmann, so it's just a spectacle. Gotcha. But yeah, I mean, Elvis at some point just became kitschy, right? Mm. And then the children of the 60s had to find someone or something more extreme, which explains like Jim Morrison, the Doors, and the Stones. and Right. And then kids in the 70s had to escalate even further. Well, I mean, you, you were talking about escalation being like the Doors and stuff. I was like, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. They're like, this guy openly does drugs in front of us. Wee! Yeah, it was like a snowball effect. Like, yeah. Teenage music, it's really like a rebellion arms race. Yeah. <laughs> It gets to the point where you have to go to almost comical lengths to scare your parents. Right. And that's why you have Guar. That's how I ended up listening to Slayer and Megadeth. Because my parents grew up as part of the sex and drugs generation. Mm -hmm. And so I realized it was impossible to freak them out without resorting to Satan. Yeah, I I too had to go the the metal route because after my dad started selecting Metallica songs for me to play, he's like, I like that one. Play that one. I was like, okay. Now I got to up this ante so it was Tool and corn. That was what happened to so many people. It was like once uh, I remember it was uh, Nothing Else Matters came out Mm -hmm. and that was my uncle played it as wedding. I was like, uh, oh, yeah, I got (laughs) to. Get me a little Great Southern Trend kill. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) To 11. Pantera. Oh, my God. What did I what was I just watching? That was a cartoon that had a Pantera song in it. What? It was Sonic the Hedgehog. They knew like Sonic with, yeah. the, with Tails. Pantera. <laughs> in a freaking like Sonic. CGI kids movie. Jim Carrey's Sonic movie. Oh, My. how the mighty have fallen. It just, it does sort of highlight how fucking silly some of the rebellion is. That mm-hmm. we like how performative and silly it was because mm-hmm. now it's it's in a kid's film like it just all the things that i thought were badass and hardcore mm-hmm. you know now it's just uh, disney right and we'll talk about that that is an issue that i have i think with punk music in general but i love punk music but at the same time like the, there was a natural progression now it is avril lavigne and fallout boy like nothing is sacred from your youth mm-hmm. and nothing also is as hardcore as you ever thought it was Oh, yeah. Yourself, least of all. I love looking back at my 16-year-old me pictures and just being like, wow, yeah. what a tool bag I was. I know. Look at me posing like a jackass. I thought that was cool. Like, I had a full-on mullet and, like, a backwards baseball hat. Yep. And no one was intimidated. But uh, I sure thought I looked badass. Meow, meow. This might be a good time for a disclaimer, by the way. We are musicians, but not punk musicians. Mm-hmm. Nor are we experts when it comes to punk music. We did listen to a lot of different varieties of music, but I don't think that's ever been something that we either played or were really immersed in. No, we covered a few songs, but that was about as far as it went. So this episode kind of illuminated a new area of music history for me. It sort of filled in some of the gaps and provided missing links for my understanding of musical evolution, where a lot of the bands that I love came from. Gotcha. This was the Lucy of rock music. (laughs) So let's trace the evolution of punk. Let's go ahead and take a step back and start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. 
You can sense the first bubblings of punk kind of simmering on the grittier fringes of 1960s radio from bands like The Kinks and MC5. Yeah. Uh, either of those bands really would have been at home at the Gilman when we were in high school. Absolutely. Um, what was that one that they they had on uh, Pump Up the Volume that I really loved, A Wave of Mutilation? I feel like that's Pixies. punk. Pixies, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would definitely count the Pixies as sort of uh, avant-garde punk, mm-hmm. kind of. And the Gilman... By the way, we mentioned, you know, that was a very popular punk venue in the early 90s. And you and I were right there. We were at the, like ground zero, Green Day and all these bands that were playing there. And uh, I, I never went. Did you ever go to the Gilman? I never did. I was, as were most things motivated back then, I was really into this girl and really wanted to go. Yeah. And she, she somehow knew that I wouldn't fit in and never took me. But yeah, uh, she lived right around the corner from the Gilman. I even tried out for a famous-ish, Berkeley famous uh punk band once link 80 i didn't get it i couldn't sing fast enough hmm. sounds like a blink 182 yeah but it's before it is not it's they way were, they were way more a hundred less links yes. or blinks <laughs> they were a hundred less something <laughs> so anyway those classic 60s rock bands like mc5 would be a huge influence on artists like iggy pop mm-hmm. and the new york dolls uh this was around the first years of the 1970s and then the dolls and iggy's band the stooges they would sort of crank up the angst and intensity to a new level while also pushing gender boundaries. They were flaunting androgyny and flipping the bird to musical and social conventions. Right. Very much uh, along the lines of David Bowie at this time. David Bowie was like the pop side of it, and then you had the Stooges and the Dolls that were sort of the the punk side. Right. So teenagers of the 70s had been born in the 60s, and they'd witnessed all of the wild craziness of the free love generation. Mm. But they weren't getting any of the benefits of all that sex and drugs and irresponsible craziness that their older siblings and maybe even their parents had enjoyed. Right. They were getting the backlash from that period. Yeah. Well, good vibes and marijuana and, and wild sex had been replaced by rampant crime and cocaine and STDs and disco. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's probably a little tough to keep listening to songs about sunshine and world peace when everything that you believed in has been undermined by Watergate and the war in Vietnam and a brutal financial recession. Yeah. You can't separate punk from the socioeconomic conditions of the 1970s in the United States, Australia, and the UK. In the documentary Punk's Not Dead, it's a pretty good documentary. I watched a bunch of great documentaries for this. Hmm. Uh, Joe Strummer from The Clash, he put it pretty bluntly when he said of his fellow punks, quote, well, if there was jobs, then they wouldn't be on the dole, and maybe we'd be singing about love and kissing, unquote. <laughs> All right, fair enough. New York, in particular, had hit rock bottom. There was a plague of violent crime in the 70s. There were garbage strikes that resulted in trash piling up on street corners so that the entire city stank. Uh, there were rolling blackouts that knocked out power intermittently, so everyone was just sitting in the stinky darkness just waiting to be murdered. How I picture. Sorry, could you put that any more depressingly? Sitting in the stinky darkness, waiting to be murdered. That's the recipe for punk music. Absolutely, or death metal, one of the two. Fear and filth. Yeah, kind of tracks. Yeah. One thing that's really cool about punk music is that, in addition to being a product of misery and hopelessness and the socioeconomic conditions of the times, in some ways, it is also the result of the democratizing of musical gear. So in the mid-1970s, the big labels, the big music labels, they started upgrading all of their equipment to the next generation, Mm -hmm. all of the synthesizers and the MIDI rigs and drum machines that would define the 1980s. So that means that suddenly there was this flood of suddenly obsolete gear from the 60s and 70s that was now dirt cheap, and it all still worked. Right. And so it became accessible to broke hooligans to 
punks, basically. Right. These were often people who had never taken music lessons, which is the other secret ingredient of punk, I think. Yeah. Punk has been described as raw and simplistic, which is a diplomatic way of saying that punk music was initially a product of musical ineptitude. Yes. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Solid rhythm and not much else. No one made a conscious decision to write simple music. It was just the default setting. Right. No other option. Yeah. And that simplicity made it very easy to play and very easy to digest. There aren't any complicated key changes or syncopated rhythms or anything. It's just fast strumming and palm muting. No guitar solos, very few. Mm -hmm. No adornment. In some ways, it's very much uh, distilled music. Verse chorus, verse chorus out. Yeah. It's absolutely high grain alcohol mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm, okay you made this with corn and a still in the backyard got it, it. yeah you can mainline yeah. punk and Ooh, it just, maybe not <laughs> you can't I guess sounds can't, dirty <laughs> can't mainline moonshine i guess no but that sounds like an amazing punk band though mainline moonshine are you kidding me trademarking that bitch so geographically where did punk originate mm-hmm. punk began in a filthy little club in a filthy sketchy neighborhood in what was at the time a filthy and sketchy and, as we mentioned, garbage-festooned city. Club CBGB in New York's Bowery District opened in 1973 as a country music venue. Of course it did. CBGB did not know this. Stands for Country, Bluegrass, and Blues. Huh. It was founded by a guy named Hilly Crystal. Oh, boy. For real. Who had a very different vision for what his dive bar would become. He pictured wholesome, down-home country and bluegrass music interspersed with poetry readings. Hillbilly poetry. I Things I don't want to hear for 500, Alex. <laughs> I shudder to. <laughs> Hilly Crystal himself, he does not deserve much credit for the direction of punk music. The legend goes that when he was first approached by the band Wayne County, he thought it sounded like a country band, so he booked them. Uh, Wayne County, they were led by the first openly transgender rock singer, a foul-mouthed proto-punk who was originally named Wayne Richards, but would achieve fame under the moniker Jane County and was not remotely country. Mm -hmm. Oops. (laughs) I kind of love that he was duped. Yeah. (laughs) Wayne County, that sounds amazing. You guys come out here, you sing some, you know what, you seem like a nice lady. You know what, you tell me some poetry. You, 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 You speak good. So Hilly eventually relinquished control of the club's musical direction and contracted a couple of promoters named Bill Page and Rusty McKenna, who began booking early precursors of punk, like the Revelons, a band that contained future members of both the Patti Smith group and television. Eventually, CBGB would regularly feature the Ramones, the Misfits, Television, Blondie, Joan Jett, Bad Brains, among other punk royalty. Hmm. There were only two rules at CBGB. No cover songs, and bands carried their own gear. Hmm. They probably should have come up with a few more rules. I mean, it sounds a little thin on the ground in terms of rules, but, you know, fair enough. In 1990, CBGB would ban all hardcore punk shows due to violence. So, yeah, rules, not always a bad thing. CBGB closed in 2006 as the result of a rent dispute. I believe the landlord wanted them to pay it. (laughs) It's a little more complicated than that, Mm. but uh, it was not an upscale venue by any means. I can't imagine why. According to Jane County, quote, when I first played there, Hilly had these big, huge dogs. At times you'd be going up to see the band and you'd step in dog shit. Of the bathrooms, quote, there were no doors on the stalls, unquote. That sounds fun. And by fun, I mean, ha ha ha. Just think of all the stinky punks doing their business. For the world to see, smelling of dog shit and all the other shit that they were into. 
So it was like the Blue Lagoon, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I've done comedy at venues like that. Mm-hmm. There's something, you know what? There's something very liberating about a place where there's nothing you can do to make it worse. Yeah. <laughs> where a cleansing fire might actually improve the joint. Yeah. Why not piss on the floor? Probably just washed away a layer of hepatitis. And vomit. <laughs> just a glaze of hep C on everything. Of course, the problem is that you uncover a deeper layer of Ebola. Ebola and blood, yes. <laughs> so the name punk, where did it come from? This is a rhetorical question. Okay. I'm going to answer it. <laughs> My blank, confused look was a bit <laughs> telling, I suppose. It was obviously an insult in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. But in the early 70s, it was borrowed by music journalists from Cream Magazine to describe the budding music scene of the 1960s garage rock and then enshrined by John Holstrom, Ged Dunn, and Legs McNeil, the founders of the famous fanzine titled Punk, hmm. which forever linked the word and the genre. Okay. Legs McNeil. Sounds like a foxy crime fighter from Charlie's Angels or something. I'm sorry. My brain is all 12 and 16-year-old. All I heard was porn star. The word punk, BTW, has also traditionally been used in prison to describe a man who uh, was raped. Yes. So that's uh, unpleasant, but true. So initially, most of the bands hated being called punks. (laughs) There are some great clips of band members bristling in interviews at the the word punk. Now, I know that everyone listening right now wants a single genesis point for the birth of punk, like a single moment and one particular band that created the movement. Mm. And of course, life is not that simple. But since you're demanding it, if you want to point to a single band that represents, this is your fault. This is, I blame, I blame the listeners for nothing they've actually done. I was going to say, for all the silent ghost fingers only you can see. (laughs) Did you take your meds today? (laughs) But if you wanted to point to a single band that represents the birth of punk music and also is the kind of poster child for the movement, Mm. and again, you should not do this. It is dangerous because people are very invested in this stuff. Mm. But the Ramones encapsulate punk. They defined and somehow even transcended most of the movement that they started. I can almost hear my brethren across the ocean, what about a pistols, mate? We'll get to the pistols, and I have a good, good explanation for why the pistols should not even be considered uh, a real traditional punk band. Mm. Although I think that, you know, they now have been enshrined in punk, but uh, we'll talk about them. (laughs) And UK goes dark for Miffy. (laughs) (laughs) The Ramones were just four guys from the Forest Hill neighborhood in Queens, New York. They started jamming together and wearing black leather, and they weirdly took the same last name, despite the fact that none of them were related. Kind of culty, but Mm. cool. In the beginning, they were nothing more than one of the dozens of struggling local acts until a music reporter from the Soho News named Danny Fields. He went to see them, and uh, he was so blown away by the performance that he immediately offered to be their manager. The response from the Ramones was basically, uh, well, it would be nice to have a manager, but what we really need is $3,000 for drums. So if you can get us the money, you can have the job. According to Danny Fields, quote, $3,000 in 1975 was a lot of money for drums. Mm. I don't know what they spent it on, and I don't care, but I called my mother and I said, I need $3,000. And she wrote a check and she said, I hope you know what you're doing. So actually, my mother is responsible for launching the Ramones, unquote. That is actually kind of an amazing story. I love that. (laughs) The most rebellious anarchistic movement in the history of music was kicked off by an old lady with a checkbook who was just humoring her son's little hobby. It was funded by your grandma. (laughs) That is simultaneously the least and most punk thing that I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. By 1976, the Ramones were making waves locally, but the punk movement was still confined to a few clubs in New York. 
angry teenagers just sitting in the stinking dark in Queens. They were feeling the vibes, but the rest of America was not yet paying attention. Mm. Luckily, across the pond, circumstances were converging that would create a musical powder keg scenario. British punk exploded into public consciousness in 1976 via a convergence of events. The Ramones finally played in England, and The Damned and Sex Pistols finally released their first singles. Uh, Most Americans hadn't caught on to punk, but a few disgruntled Brits had discovered Ramones records, and soon the underground scene in the UK was popping off. By the time the Ramones made it to the UK, their audience included Billy Idol, uh, plus members of the Buzzcocks and the Damned, and of course one of the biggest fans of the Ramones was a guy you might have heard of, even if you know nothing about the Sex Pistols, because he achieved punk infamy for uh, not the greatest reasons, Mm. uh, Sid Vicious. Yes. Side note, uh, punk fans in the UK famously show their enthusiasm by spitting on the performing band. I don't know if audiences did that here in America, but uh, punk shows were just sketchy in general. There was always a threat of bodily fluids of various varieties and viscosities. (laughs) And spikes. I don't don't know why they were so into bodily fluids and laceration, but they were just, yeah. And, you know, they loved to mosh too. Moshing Mm -hmm. really uh, came from the punk scene as well as as the hardcore. Slam dance, really. Yeah, Yeah. like spikes and moshing don't mix. No. No, thank you. Not unless you want to go to the ER, in which case, have at it. I think they just wanted Scars. Right. Scars, very cool. Oh, yes. So the Ramones were an inspiration to Sid Vicious, but his infamous band, the one that would kick punk into the stratosphere on both sides of the Atlantic, was already in existence by the time of the 1976 Ramones tour. However, judging by the music of the Sex Pistols and their collective attitude, you probably would not guess their origin story. Mm. So the Sex Pistols were not just a few buddies drawn together by camaraderie and shared musical passion. There's a shadowy figure that you most likely haven't heard of, a puppet master who doesn't get the press or the legendary status of Sid Vicious or Johnny Rotten, but the Sex Pistols would not have become a phenomenon without him. Hmm. Malcolm McLaren was the Lou Pearlman of punk. I know neither of those names, so I'm just going to go, "Uh uh-huh. Lou Pearlman was the sleazy con man and music promoter who assembled the boy band supergroups uh, New Kids on the Block, the Backstreet Boys, and NSYNC. The idea that a punk group can be assembled like a boy band seems unlikely and weirdly distasteful, Mm. Uh, but that's essentially what happened with the Sex Pistols. Malcolm McLaren owned a kink fashion shop called Sex, all caps, S-E-X. It sold fetish gear designed by his girlfriend, Vivian Westwood. Ah, she reached far for that one, I feel. It's also false advertising. Yeah. As far as I know, there was no actual sex being sold. No, it, it was more like batteries not included. Like you had to build your own. You, yeah. you take it home and Legos your own sex. It's sex. Uh, accoutrement. Sex accoutrement. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is disappointing when you go to a sex store and you're just like, oh, wait, these are things that would make sex more enjoyable if I were having it. Right. So Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood, they already had some experience with the music scene. They had supplied fashion and accessories for the New York Dolls, actually. Mm. Uh, McLaren was instrumental in the band's demise. When he designed the outfits for their tour, the costumes that he created were Soviet-inspired uniforms featuring the communist hammer and sickle symbol. Oops. They were not a hit. No. And they have been credited with tanking the band. Mm. Though, of course, uh, infighting and rampant drug addictions probably didn't help. Yeah. So after potentially nuking an entire band's career, McLaren decided to create his own UK version of the New York Dolls, with some of the local musicians who hung around his shop. He had been advising a musical trio made up of drummer Paul Cook, guitarist Steve Jones, and a singer named Wally Nightingale. McLaren matched them with a bassist who worked in his shop named Glenn Matlock, gave the group the name Cutie Jones and the Sex Pistols, 
and then promptly ejected Wally from the band, and then he replaced him with an angsty Londoner named John Lydon, whom he nicknamed Johnny Rotten. Mm. Finally, he kicked out Matlock, explaining that Matlock had to go because he, quote, liked the Beatles, and he replaced him with uh, Simon John Ritchie, a.k.a. Sid Vicious. Gotcha. He then shortened the group name to the Sex Pistols, and the rest is history. Hmm. That was mildly depressing for some reason. It's sort of like watching two people play with baseball cards. It's like, there's a game on, bro. Yeah, he was just, uh, you know, puppeteering the whole situation. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't feel very punk. Uh-uh. Also, Cutie Jones and the Sex Pistols <laughs> probably would not have achieved the that same That would have been infamy. more punk, I think. <laughs> That's actually, you have a point. Yeah. There is actually a little more to it. Like, for instance, the moment that launched the band and might, in fact, be the seminal moment that made punk viable. Let's talk about the TV moment that changed history. Before we do, can I just go back to the whole thing where he assembled this winning group of people from people who hung around his sex shop? If you're hanging around a sex shop, you don't need music in your life. You need Jesus. (laughs) You need therapy. Why are you hanging around dildos and pocket pussies? God damn, son. When I was a teenager, you wouldn't want to hang out at a shop called Sex, all in caps. No. That was the place I wanted to be. That sounds like an excellent place to get a few STDs I didn't have at the time. They, this was the 70s before they really had a lot to worry about. That's fair. This was pre-AIDS. So, mm-hmm. like, the ones that you would get, you could probably wash off. Get a shot in the ass if you got the other one. Yeah. I think they just, a lot of times, didn't know. A lot of them had STDs, and they just never know. Yeah. My pee is pink. This is, this, come on. That's badass. Yeah. What is more punk than it hurting when you pee? Dude, you think I dyed my hair with Kool-Aid? What are you, weak? They're so drunk. They never noticed. Oh, yeah, dude. Back to the television show. Mm. There were only a few channels on British television at the time. There were the BBC channels, and then there was the Incorporated Television Company, the ITC, which featured one of the most popular shows of the era. Actually, one of the biggest TV shows of all time, since there were so few options back then. Everyone was watching the same thing. Mm -hmm. This was the Bill Grundy show. Isn't a Grundy a, a bad sex act or something like that? I, I seem to remember Grundy being a bad thing. That's not the name for the, like, flesh between your... The taint? <laughs> <laughs> no, Grundle. That's what it was. I'm always impressed when people with really shitty names still make it in show business. Mm. Like, they must be that much better because they had kind of a, a handicap. I, yeah. I don't want to watch the Grundy show. It's <laughs> Sounds like a very focused kink I am not into. Yeah. Do you, boo-boo, but just don't bring me to your Grundy show. <laughs> Sounds like Grungy. Yeah, or, you know, the devil's driveway, whatever. So on that particular evening on the Grundy show, the band Queen had been booked to appear, but they bailed. Who wouldn't? <laughs> they, they were like, wait, what's this called? Like, what, what's the show called? You booked us where? Grundy? Sounds like something you have to wax, bro. No, we're not going. So Malcolm McLaren, he jumped on the opportunity to showcase his sex pistols. Uh, the group... Sh- <laughs> that sounds, this is not getting better, not, bro. Oh, I meant it. <laughs> Sex pistol probably refers to penis, now that I think about it. That took you that long. <laughs> <I> never, <laughs> just making that connection. Hmm. Never thought of that. I'm gonna, I should cut that out. You yeah, makes me look pretty stupid. Not <laughs> you pulled a truly monkey-level stupid right there. That was impressive. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. There he is. <laughs> I actually wrote to showcase his sex pistols and did not make that connection. <laughs> Well done, sir. Well done. I don't want to see your sex pistols or your Grundy. Mm-mm. I, although I feel they're very <laughs> close to each other on your body. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the Sex Pistols showed up with some groupies in tow. Mm. And here is what happened. There he is. They're a group called the Sex Pistols. And I'm surrounded now by all of them. I am told that that group have received £40,000 from a record company. Doesn't that seem uh, to be slightly opposed to their anti-materialistic view of life? Uh, oh. More to marry Really? Oh, yeah. Well, tell me more about You're it. You're fucking spent. I don't know, have you? Yeah, yeah. it's all good. Really? Yep. Loser. 40, really? Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Now, oh, I want gosh. to know one thing. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Or are you just making me, no, trying to make me laugh? Really? Yeah. No, but I mean about what you're doing. Oh, yeah. You are serious? Mm. Beethoven, Mozart, Bach and Brahms have all died. Really? What are we saying, sir? wonderful people. Are they? Oh, yes, they really turn us on. What are they Well, suppose they turn other people on. It's just their time It's what? Nothing, a rude word. Next question. No, no. What was the rude word? Shit. Was it really? Good heavens, you frightened me to death. What about you girls behind? Are you, uh. (laughs) Your granddad. Are you worried or are you just enjoying yourself? Enjoying myself. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought you were doing. I always wanted to meet you. Did you really? We'll meet afterwards, shall we? (laughs) You dirty son. You dirty old man. Creepy old man. Keep going. (laughs) Go on, you've got another five seconds. Say something outrageous. Dirty bastard. Gone again. <laughs> you dirty fucker. What a clever boy. What a fucking rocker. Well, that's it for tonight. The other rocker, Abel, I'm saying nothing else about him, will be back tomorrow. I'll be seeing you soon. I hope I'm not seeing you again. From me, though, good night. Good Lord. <laughs> my stars. Oh, my stars. Did you really just say that to me, young man? Ooh. Oh, you're rather pretty young lady. What's you doing? Mm. He was straight creeping. He was it. creeping, dude. Sounded not great. No. Me too. I feel like I should me too. I should call back history of me too for that <laughs> poor woman. As you can probably imagine, uh, Malcolm McLaren was not thrilled with this uh, performance or mm. this uh, interaction. Uh, he thought the band was toast. But later, he would take credit for the supposed publicity stunt, which was actually a total accident. But the next day, the Sex Pistols were on the cover of every newspaper and tabloid in the country. Mm-hmm. One of the headlines that I've seen was splashed across the entire front page of a publication, and it read, quote, the filth and the fury, unquote. And you just can't buy that kind of publicity. Mm-mm. Obviously, the Sex Pistols immediately became public enemy number one. But very much like that moment when the Beatles debuted on Ed Sullivan, mm-hmm. the television appearance just caused a sensation that crystallized teen support. And punk was now officially a movement. Right, or like when the doors went out on their way to say higher mm-hmm. on, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, America still had this tiny little punk subculture in New York. But ironically, in the non-ironic sense of the word, uh, <laughs> punk didn't break through in America until the Sex Pistols, this quintessential British punk band, came to America. Oh. The Pistols toured the states in 1978. I guess I should say they toured a few states. They mostly played these tiny little venues in the South, because uh, Malcolm McLaren had been bitter about his experiences with the New York music scene with the Dolls. Mm. And, of course, the South was the worst possible audience for the Sex Pistols. I can only imagine 70s-era Southern America taking in the Sex Pistols. It was a brutal, crazy tour full of taunting and violence, and, of course, it caused a giant scandal, and the press covered it incessantly. Mm. So now punk music was just everywhere. Right. The final date of the tour marked the official breakup of the band. 
Hmm. Within the year, Sid Vicious had died of an overdose after murdering his girlfriend. Uh, the details are disputed, but he and Nancy had an abusive relationship and both were obsessed with knives. Nancy was found stabbed in his hotel room, and Sid initially admitted to the murder before retracting his confession and then overdosing himself. Hmm. The tragic implosion of the band and even more tragic implosion of Sid and Nancy contributed to the legendary status of punk rock. Of course. So with the rise of punk's popularity and the dawn of the 1980s, punk scenes sprouted in cities outside of New York and bands began to diverge musically as well as geographically. There were pop and hardcore offshoots and then there were side shoots like politically oriented uh, bands like the Dead Kennedys from the Bay Area. Right. Hardcore included uh, Washington, D.C.'s Bad Brains and Minor Threat, or the Germs and Black Flag in L.A. And then you had the rise of a more accessible version of pop punk that drew inspiration from the Ramones and Joan Jett and the Runaways, bands like Stiff Little Fingers from Ireland, Bad Religion and the Descendants in L.A., and the horror punk of Glenn Danzig's Misfits from New Jersey. Yeah. The latter bands would eventually spawn skate punk, and the pop punk of the 2000s, the Green Days and Offsprings that would sound the death knell for traditional indie punk rock while simultaneously achieving the kind of stratospheric popular success that had eluded or been rejected by their predecessors. Yeah. We also forgot to mention Rancid. I can't believe we forgot Rancid. Rancid's definitely in the pop punk era. They're yeah. like no effects. They were sort of the, you know, that transition from punk to just straight up pop. Right. And you probably guessed, I am much more of a fan of melodic punk than, you know, the germs. Right. It's funny because I was listening to like Megadeth and Slayer as a teen, which seem kind of hardcore, but I never got into hardcore punk at all. Mostly, I think, because I gravitate toward musicianship. Yeah, I, I could never get into it uh, that far either because, well, for that same thing, there wasn't a lot of skilled singing going on and there wasn't a lot of, you know, interesting musicianship. It was just sort of like... Yeah, I had the angst, but I wanted it to be channeled in some way. And I also wanted it to be, I think, somehow aspirational. Like, I want to learn to play this. And with punk, I, you didn't have to learn to play it. I could right. pretty much figure it out. You could bang a guitar against someone's head and play punk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I enjoyed intensity and angst just as much as the kids at the punk movement, but I wanted the bands that I followed to feature some musical talent and say what you want about, you know, Megadeth. Mm. They are virtuosos. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, some of these sloppier punk bands like the Germs, they're just painful for me to listen to. I, you know, I respect everyone's opinion unless you like the Germs, in which case you are wrong. <laughs> we, we don't kink shame unless you're into the Germs, in which case... What the fuck is wrong with you? The other, I also had a problem with the subculture mm -hmm. because hardcore punk sort of unfortunately ushered in an era of musical fascism. Yeah. You had to be a badass. You had to dress a certain way and act a certain way. Not wash. Not wash. You had to like only a few specific bands. If you like these bands, you're not cool. I think there's that in every music genre to some extent, but punk definitely cornered the market. In metal, it was less dangerous to not conform. Right. Like, you could wear a Def Leppard shirt to a Megadeth show, and people might snicker, but they weren't going to beat your ass. Right. And now is probably a good time to admit that I have always been skeptical when it comes to music as a form of rebellion. Or I don't know if I've always, but definitely since my teenage years. Yeah, since the testosterone tuned down some, I was able to open my ears and listen and go, hmm. Yeah, and I think because I have experience with the hypocrisy of it. Right. Sporting Doc Martens and spiked hair and piercings and eye makeup, I mean, I guess you're rebelling against, like, conservative culture, but you're conforming to a very specific fashion movement. You're wearing the uniform of rebellion, which feels like an inherent contradiction. 
Yeah, it's almost oxymoronic. Almost. As we've discussed before, individuality in Western societies is only allowed really within a narrow spectrum of acceptability. Right. Like, are you really rebelling if you're wearing clothing just like everyone else and playing music using the same instruments as every other band? How much of a rebel could you even be? Right. Unless you're playing a xylophone made out of human teeth that, you know, <laughs> while playing a mouth harp and dressed in a kilt made out of pubic hair, I don't think you're really rebelling. Yeah. Bro. Dress up like dinosaurs and play music with garden tools. Yes. And, you know, sing all your lyrics out of tune in pig Latin. And, and then I'll believe you're rebelling. You, you will not have any fans or money. No. But you will have my respect. Yes. You will be, able to, you will be allowably a rebel. And there's no arguing the fact that punk, along with many other music-based subcultures, can be aggressively conformist. Hmm. From a Culture Trip article titled The Fall of American Punk Rock Music, quote, American punks, or fans of punk rock, decided to build their own authoritarian system to govern clothing. Fashion made it difficult for people to attend punk shows in America. The wrong shoes, wrong jacket, or even having the wrong look could get your teeth kicked in, unquote. Yeah, I, I, I do enjoy that part of the ridiculousness of punk rock, too. It's like, oh, you're not wearing a leather jacket with umpteen studs in it? You must be a pussy and need your shit kicked in. And you have to, like, stay up on what is the career. Because the bands that are hardcore now might have sold out tomorrow, so you're right. all going to be wearing something else. So you got to get rid of your old clothes so you're, like, updating just as much as any freaking, you know, fashion model is. Yeah. Keeping up with the trends. And speaking of which, the specific styles of hardcore punk are very funny to me. Like, do you know how much work it takes to create and maintain a mohawk? Oh, yeah. Or even worse, one of those sea urchin hairdos with the spikes going every direction. You have to use more hair product than an Instagram model. You have to use more hair product than Donald Trump. It's like the ultimate hypocrisy to be giving the finger to materialistic culture while you're preening for hours to get your hair perfectly starched and gelled. And, and you're looking down your nose at anyone who doesn't match your cool aesthetic. You're a Kardashian. <laughs> You're a smelly, leather-clad Kardashian. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. So hardcore thankfully started to burn out after a few tumultuous years of band members and fans beating the crap out of each other. But the bands who had focused on melody and actually learned to play their instruments birthed a new, more mainstream-friendly movement. No FX and The Offspring and Pennywise and Rancid, this was a movement that formed around surfer-skater culture. Yeah. This was the Tony Hawk era. These were the skate punks in L.A. who weren't quite as directionless and angry, probably because their surroundings were less stinky and dark and miserable and hopeless. And also because they channeled their energy to skating and surfing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge. Like, you have to have hobbies. That is the key to a happy life. Yes, hobbies that don't involve syringes or broken bottles. These new punks were still energetic and testosterone-fueled, but they had shit to do. <laughs> By the 90s, then you had the rise of the Riot Girl movement, uh, the all-woman or female-fronted bands like Bikini Kill and Buggy Bear, uh, Bratmobile, Slant Six. They were often androgynous or queer-friendly, and these bands waged full-frontal assault on the conventions of a male-dominated genre. And this new generation of melodic punk bands made savvier choices. Their songs became the soundtrack of skate videos and surfer compilations and popular video games. Mm-hmm. Do you remember bootleg skating videos, like the ones that Joe used to always show us? Oh, yeah, like early CKY videos and shit. Yeah. They were like jackass before jackass. Yeah. Just montages of guys falling on their faces and breaking their elbows, oh. all set to no effects. Yeah. He would play me that one part over and over and over again. Uh, it made me vomit in my mouth every time. He was like Such a sadist a with, yeah. like, he just, I don't think he even enjoyed watching it. He just enjoyed subjecting other people to it. Yeah. Yeah. The first true smash hit in punk history didn't come out until 1994. Any idea? Uh, 
probably Green Day's song back again. Come out and play. Subtitled Keep Them Separated by The Offspring. Kind of a weirdly racial song. I'm not going to say it's racist, but it is weirdly racial. Mm -hmm. Uh, In retrospect, it's all about like how shitty it is to be a white guy dealing with a bunch of gangsters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Offspring had their massive hit and then Green Day just went nuclear. Right. And I think what happened with punk is that all of a sudden you had the wealth and privilege of a lot of these sort of top tier bands. Right. And then you had bands coming along who wanted that they didn't want the struggle they didn't want to yell and scream and be angry they wanted to get rich and that sort of undermines the whole movement right i think Mm -hmm. the warp tour might be when punk sort of officially lost its teeth (laughs) or a lot of them and that wasn't just because skateboarding will make you bap into things they lost their teeth metaphorically speaking (laughs) because you you had these pop bands that would not have existed without the ramones Mm. but they sort of bled out any rebellion and replaced it with like sanitized, tongue-in-cheek, teenage silliness. Right. And, you know, you get groups like Blink-182 and Sum 41, Good Charlotte, and Bowling for Soup. And and I actually enjoy a lot of these bands. But they're definitely not bands that sing about struggle or come from an angsty place. These are bands that are just having a good time. These are party punk. Right. And if you're interested in learning more about punk, I do highly recommend the excellent four-part docuseries on Epics, simply called Punk, all in caps. Uh, it was executive produced by Iggy Pop and features him a lot, but also features like every other punk artist, including some of the pop punk, even like Green Day and stuff. Hmm. You can subscribe to Epics for free for a week long trial. It's plenty of time to watch the series and then cancel it because I feel reasonably confident that there is nothing else worth watching on Epics. Just trust me on that one. Mate. If you hadn't guessed, no, they are not sponsoring this particular episode. They're not sponsoring. And uh, I was disappointed. Yeah. I was like, ah, week-long trial. I'll watch this punk series and then I'll see what... I- oh, no. I'll oh. cancel immediately. <laughs> and if you want some recommendations for a playlist to get started with punk, if you're not uh, versed at all, you cannot go wrong with Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones mm-hmm. and then Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. And then if you think you can handle it and are, let's say, older than 15, uh, go listen to my favorite punk song of all time, The Misfits' Last Caress, <laughs> and even the No FX version, which is pretty fun, too. Sweet, lovely death, just waiting for your breath. Come, sweet death, one last caress. You, you didn't sing the, the beginning part, which is probably probably smart. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I look for us to get canceled only once every three, like once every fiscal quarter. Yeah. I don't. We, I did that recently. I'm good. Yeah, so we've got three. I've got three months to look forward to. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I'm light. What do you say? Uh, I don't believe your face. (laughs) These are lies. (laughs) Uh, Then I think you should move into the 80s uh, with Bad Religion and uh, Suffer. That song and the entire album, including Delirium of Disorder, that really set the table for punk pop. And then while you're listening to Bad Religion, go ahead and listen to Sorrow, which uh, did not suffer. Mm. Uh, Suffer was different. They they like to talk about uh, S words that are miserable, I guess. Sad, yes. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, both the original and the acoustic version of Sorrow are amazing. Sorrow still gives me goosebumps whenever I listen to it. And just amazing to see how melodic punk can be. Yeah. You know? And then listen to all of Dookie, just for the hell of it. Because it's freaking great. And I don't care who thinks Green Day isn't punk. They started out as punk. They maintained that sensibility. They just got better and better as they kept recording. I mean, go back and listen to Dominated Love Slave off of their album before that. I think it was called Kerplunk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like that. You want a punk songs? There's the, the punk songs. It's all on the punk album. And just, you know, Minority and Holiday. And you yeah. listen to those and tell me that's not catchy, fun, energetic punk. 
Yeah, listen to the first uh, uh, Offspring album, Smash, mm. Rancid songs, uh, Bad Religions. And I mean, you uh, wouldn't, if, if you're a fan of what we consider sort of pop punk now, I like Fall Out Boy. I like My Chemical Romance. There are a lot of bands that you just would not have without these originators. And so it's kind of fun to go back and see where your the music that you love comes from. Right. And we have a new maniac. Yeah, yeah. I jumped the gun a little bit on this, mm. but it's because I'm excited. <laughs> uh, Maniac is our highest tier. So welcome, Caitlin. You are awesome. Thank you, Caitlin. Uh, we also have a new menace, and this is a special menace, uh, probably the most literal menace in our Patreon. Mm. I happen to know that this insomniac, RDD, is three months old and has been subjected to Miffy since the womb. <laughs> we are talking about June's Lillen. This is son of June. Mm. One of the first insomniacs, June is, and she was the listener who actually started our Discord, and I suspect she might have helped RDD join the Patreon, unless he's really advanced. Yeah, unless he is a prodigy of credit card usage and computer literacy. He was raised on Miffy. Even odds. You never know. We also have a couple of new minions. Mm. Meet Rick Goodrich. Thank you, Rick. And this one, I, I, I don't, I'm going to mess it up. It's F-I-N-W-I-E. I'm not even going to try to say it. I feel like this is... Findy? Maybe. This is, I feel like this is probably another uh, UK or mm. Welsh. I was Findy? Like, Might be Swedish. We don't know. I blame everything on the Welsh. Yes. So many consonants. So so little meaning. <laughs> F- Finwy? I mean, that's how an American would say it, but I'm sure that's wrong. Mm. So thank you, uh, Finwe and uh, Rick Goodrich and RDD and uh, Caitlin. You guys are you guys the are best. Awesome. And you guys are funding us on down the line. You are amazeballs. We appreciate you. RDD, we will definitely, you know, contribute to the delinquency of your minorhood later in your life. We'll, we'll, we'll hang. It'll be good. Um, sorry, June. <laughs> I'm not sorry. We also have a new review. Nice. Five stars. Hilarious. Exclamation point. These guys are great. I will be spending many additional sleepless nights learning new and interesting things. Nicely done. And that was S.W. Ingalls on Apple Podcasts in the USA. Thank you, S.W. Ingalls. Yeah. And by the way, uh, uh, Rick Goodrich sounds like somebody who was pit crewing for Ricky Bobby. Like, there's <laughs> <laughs> Rick Goodrich. He good with a wrench. You know, yeah, there you go. Yeah. You can just project insulting personalities on well, all of our patrons. That's going to go over great. Wasn't insulting. <laughs> Very smart people in the pit. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and so with that, we come to the end of the show, the usual time where I exhort you to go onto the Discord or go onto Instagram and give Lonely Shane a big old photogenic hug. I don't know. Something. And also, if you are looking for a reason to join the Patreon, by the way, I just want to throw this in here because yeah. a lot of people didn't see the live stream if they're not a patron. Uh, Duncan was... Uh, Stupid. <laughs> and intoxicated. Duncan agreed to get a tattoo. Yep. So if you join the Discord and say that you're there for the Duncan tattoo uh, situation and or join the Patreon yeah. uh, and uh, mention that, then we get up, I think, to 10. I think we're already at four. Mm-hmm. And if we get up to 10, then Duncan is going to get a Miffy tattoo somewhere on his person. I shall indeed. Right now I'm leaning towards ankle or right butt cheek. Maybe on his Grundy. <laughs> no, that's that's at least 100 patrons and, and a bottle of Jack later. Anyway, all right. And as per usual and forever after. Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you not... <laughs> absolute dickhead. What is going on here? <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> You're a moron.